spotlighting Hawaii's leaders. We want to bring in Governor David Ige. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. Lieutenant Governor, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Mayor Derek Kawakami. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for being here. Spotlighting the issues. Where is the virus right now in our community? How much is this overall going to cost the state? How are you responding to the community's concerns? Talk about the level of citations that you guys are writing. Spotlight Hawaii with Yanji Denise and Ryan Kalei Suji on the digital platforms of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii is brought to you by Shamanad University. Well, good morning and happy Aloha Friday. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise, and this is Spotlight Hawaii. And Yanji, a big number today with what we see with COVID cases here in the state of Hawaii. And we're going to be talking to one of the leaders who are helping to navigate us through this very crazy time. That's right. Joining us live from his office at Honolulu Hale is Honolulu Mayor Rick Blangiardi. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Yanji, thank you. Ryan, good morning. Thank you. It's always, always a pleasure to be with you folks. You know, I want to start right now with that number that Ryan uh, mentioned at the top, 1,035 new coronavirus cases in the state, nine related deaths. That's a record for our state uh, and not a good one. What, what, what are your thoughts this morning on that case count? Well, it's absolutely right. It's not a good one. I mean, I think throughout the course of the last three weeks, uh, we've watched the Delta variant and its spread and its impact, you know, take place. And um, we actually anticipated today might be over a thousand cases and sure enough it came out that way um and so we're doing everything we possibly can uh in our decision making i you know to be honest with you i have a call this morning immediately after this actually 11 15 with the other mayors and the governor so i don't want to say anything too prematurely about outcomes from this as you know we've taken a position with our own employees different than the other counties and different than the state or mandating vaccines for city and county Honolulu employees and earlier this week, we did an announcement on large gatherings, which had considerable economic impact, by the way, when we did that. A lot of people, um, when we said we weren't going to allow any gatherings to be greater than 25, we had, over the next 28 days, starting on August 25th, we had approved mitigation plans for 194 events. Uh, some of those events, 26 of them, had more than 1,000 people planned, and then many of them were over 200, over 500 all of which had good mitigation procedures in place with respect to vaccinations and all the other protocols. We canceled all of that, and that that was significant. And actually, quite honestly, we were going to hold a press conference today with yet again another, um, another announcement, if you will, on things that we're trying to do. This has been a very fluid situation, but we waived that because of the circumstances and conversations we had late yesterday with the medical community, and I really want to kind of hear this morning on where the governor is at we decided we didn't want to speak prematurely until we really knew what we were dealing with with respect to decision making at this point in time with the numbers that we're seeing uh, do you anticipate uh, further restrictions and what would they look like would it be uh, reducing that group size even more would it be some sort of shutdown uh, what are the options that you're considering and you think are most viable as this next step as we see these numbers uh, continue yeah. to rise well, you know, I will tell you that I don't know if we'll restrict the group sizes and make them any differently than the, the 10 and 25. Uh, that's a possibility. I've not heard anybody say, and again, I'm not an epidemiologist. I've not heard anyone say that, you know, um, 10 and 10 or, or, or some other number, if you will. I, I just said that off the top of my head necessarily makes a difference. We um, we had 
we had to make a hard call this weekend. I heard you and um, you know talking with Yunji before we got on the air about you know the volleyball. You know we had to say nobody attending university. You know University of Hawaii sports, and uh, that wasn't a decision I was looking forward to making. But we did that in the best interest of the public. So, you know the Wahine can open up their season. You know in front of no one other than the players and team trainers and stuff like that that are involved in there. And then of course UH tomorrow is going to open on the road in football playing UCLA and probably as I understand what's been reported no less than 60,000 people and they're going to come back to Honolulu and they're going to play in front of no one at Ching Field and uh with you as I understand the UH will be the only division one school in the country with no spectators so you know we we talk about those decisions that we made uh on behalf of the city and county here we're trying to exercise as much caution as possible but we're trying to work through an unprecedented set of circumstances we now have statewide over a million people vaccinated. If you look at it in raw numbers, you've got a million people vaccinated, 400,000 who are not, 200,000 who are refusing to be vaccinated or maybe on the fence. Now, especially since we had FDA approval earlier this week and 200,000 kids who are not eligible to be vaccinated. We kind of understand where that core group is uh, with respect to uh, geography and with respect to demographics. And so there's a real focus now on that area. But how we balance ourselves going forward right now in a broader definition of public health, and I'm supported by people in the medical community. In fact, I just finished a really at-length conversation this morning with Ray Vara, uh, who is the CEO of Hawaii Pacific Health. How we manage through this right now is different than where we were a year ago. Uh, in fact, earlier this week, we looked at the intensive care patients. I think we had 58 at the time in intensive care. And a year ago today, we had that day it was earlier this week was two, you know, and now even the numbers have increased some since then. Uh, I'm talking about here on Oahu. So, uh, you know, that's what we're dealing with right now. This is a, um, a really broader social issue. Um, you know, I think people who are vaccinated for the first time over the last couple of weeks now, and look, the, 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 today we had 11.5% of the hospital, people going into the hospitals were vaccinated, but it's been pretty much a 90-10 ratio just as it is on Oahu, pretty much a 90-10 ratio. 900,000 out of the million plus population, 100 plus thousand, pretty close, unvaccinated. You're in a situation where the majority of people have done everything they possibly can, and we also have in place lots of other protocols with respect to mask wearing. Now we've limited crowd sizes, et cetera. You know, uh, we've canceled big events, all of that, all of that while trying to let people live their lives with restaurants open, restaurants and bars, gyms. You know, I work out at a gym three days a week. Everybody in there wears a mask. I've been doing that for a number of months ever since they reopened. And I, there's not even been one case to come out of that gym. Um, but be that as it may, that's what we're on the verge of right now is whether or not something draconian would have to take place, like a lockdown, um, which I don't, I'm not in favor of doing because of, the economy in Hawaii, on Oahu at least, is um, significant and it's very complicated, as you well know. So we're just trying to work through an unprecedented set of circumstances. And today, having over a thousand cases and nine people dying is really very daunting. You know, we do have a small population that is not vaccinated. And as you mentioned, the vast majority of people have taken that step and feel like, in a sense, they're being held hostage by the rest. Miguel has a 
comment here that I think a lot of people share. He says, I support the idea of fully vaccinated only at restaurants and many other places, even the bus or other public, other public service. It's the only way, bold measures for big problems. What about that idea of having some kind of yeah. vaccination passport? Well, we were going to do that. That's what our announcement was going to be today. And we worked it out with the restaurant associations. We backed off of that because, candidly speaking, despite the moves we've made with respect to, as I'll say it again, mandating a city and county employees to be vaccinated, limiting the large gatherings with, with significant economic consequence to that, or for that matter, canceling UH, uh, there's some feelings that maybe that's that's not quite enough. And even though we were going to go ahead with a vaccine passport and we wanted we were prepared to execute bold ideas. Um, I just don't want to get that lost on this pending discussion with the governor and the other mayors right now to be sure that when we do make an announcement that, you know, we're not going to say this and then, you know, the next day or two is something else. It's, it's very fluid. But we thought this was a very um strong thing that we could do and we're and we're and we're prepared to make to do that we just didn't announce it this morning i'm, I'm telling you right now what we were going to do okay and so moving forward uh, essentially would that be in your in your mind uh, a mandate or would that be optional for businesses to decide buy-in because uh, when we spoke to the governor earlier this week his thought process was that the state would be able to provide an app that would allow businesses to help verify those who have been vaccinated but it wasn't something that he was looking to mandate. Uh, would that yeah. be something that you would do? Is a mandate well, think, rather? Well, first of all, we don't have jurisdiction over private businesses, Ryan. So one of the things that we talked about with the Restaurant Association, because they were concerned. I mean, candidly speaking, on the passport, the vaccine passport for restaurants, there's already been some experience out there in San Francisco and New Orleans. New York just recently launched it, and and also they did the same thing in Guam, and. And all of their expectations from the standpoint of loss of business were actually exceeded. And, and so the financial consequence to doing that was pretty strong. And so what we were going to do initially was mandate vaccines for, for everybody going in or a test within 72 hours as a patron or, for that matter, um, with the help. But knowing that as we understand it from the restaurant association on um, what their percentages of their employees are who are vaccinated and the ones who are not, that we were going to give them a period of, of we were going to impose 60, 60 day, 60 days to uh, weekly testing for all uh, employees who, are, who couldn't prove vaccination. Uh, we we're going to look very closely at the cluster reports, which we get. And we said we would not even hesitate to close down a place if we were to see any cluster, any cluster reports. Or for that matter, based on how things might evolve, if we're going to keep the businesses open, that we would move to uh, a request or a mandate and take the consequence of anybody possibly quitting over it in their jobs uh, for, um, you know, for the purposes of, of protecting the public. So that's where we were with that. And that was after a lot of discussion. Um, but I think at the end of the day right now, you know, we've got to rely on businesses to come forward and want to mandate vaccines on the on the people who they have jurisdiction over. We 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 don't have that that control, but we have a sense of greater good for the public health. So that's that's where we are with that. And by the way, my name going across the screen is just misspelled. So 
I, and, it's, <laughs> and I don't want to make a moment of levity, but this is one of the things that drives me crazy. And you want me to focus on this conversation, which I am, but that's driving me nuts. Well, let me okay. take that ticker out. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I will own that mistake because I write the captions. Uh, the So let me fix that uh, and let's well, move on to some more questions. We'll typical misspelling with the bland, Diotti, because I always say I'm anything but bland, you know? And, um, well, I apologize. And as someone whose name is often misspelled, I feel your pain. I want to get to Angela Keene's question here. Uh, you know her well. I, I think we all do. She runs the Quarantine Couple Breakers group. Uh, she says, what does he think of the tourism venues that are still open? All of the employees are mingling with visitors. Does it send a bad message to locals that visitors can gather, but locals cannot? The governor, as you know, has called for tourists to take a pause from coming to Hawaii. What's your take? I think a lot of uh, residents are harboring some resentment toward the people who are coming here. Well, first of all, I don't know which tourism venues that uh, Angela is talking about, but I will say this. I just this week when we did our press conference, we had both Jill Hoggett Green, Dr. Green from Queens and Ray Vara from Hawaii Pacific Health uh, at our press release on the gatherings. And they were asked specifically, you know, among the people coming to the hospitals, how many are tourists? And the answer was virtually none. There was a couple. That was it. The tourists have not been responsible. This has been a locally driven situation. We need to start owning that. So in Angela's question, stop wanting to point fingers at the other people. I'm not saying this is even defend tourism, but there's a reality on who's getting sick here. And it's our local people who are not only among the unvaccinated, but it's been people, and they know this, they've been tracing it, have been traveling to the mainland, getting sick, coming back, not quarantining, going out into the community and aiding and abetting a communal spread. So let's Let's say it for what it is. You know, we need to own this challenge. This is our, our thing to deal with. And those are the facts. I'm, I mean, I, if I heard differently that our hospitals were being flooded with tourists, I would probably have a very different opinion. But we're trying to deal with fact here versus a lot of myth, a lot of fiction, and quite honestly, a lot of stuff in some cases that's just false. As you mentioned earlier, one of the things that you did uh, order was that uh, vaccine mandate for your uh, the workers of the city and county of Honolulu. Uh, what has the response been? Uh, do you have an idea of how many uh, city workers are now vaccinated versus those who are not? And has there have you seen an uptick in those workers uh, getting vaccinated after you made that order? Yeah, well, we I can't tell you about the uptick, Ryan. I have a preliminary set of data. Actually, later on today, more officials going to get presented. I was encouraged by a number of people who are fully vaccinated. I have some questions and concerns about the numbers of people uh, on uh, who've requested either a religious or a medical examination, but both those are being vetted right now. Uh, we we had a very small percentage, half a percent. 49 people in the state who refused to get vaccinated. Um, so uh, we also had uh, a number of people out on extended leave, which we're waiting to hear back from a no response. So I think we'll have that data set. We're going to work through the weekend over the course of the weekend. But I'm pretty encouraged by a number of people who have either been fully vaccinated or have initiated one vaccine. Uh, look, one of the things I've really been impressed with, I've been in office for eight months, I've never, is that in a, yes, just yesterday did a tour of our Budget and Fiscal Services Department. The people who work for the city have great pride uh, in in having jobs. And I always ask all of them, you know, how long have you worked here? I'm always amazed at the longevity. Uh, but more than not, just the longevity, I ask them, what is it you like about the job? And as you listen to them articulate, you know, what they feel they're doing for the city, the place they live, the place they love, what that means for their families, relatives, and friends, et cetera, 
There's really a lot of pride, and a lot of people have really responded. But part of the reason why I mandated vaccines is, on average, since COVID began, the city and county, even when we went through the lockdown or whatever, but you look at the months when we were back, we about 15 cases a month. This month in August, we had 87. It's still counting, okay? And I don't have the final tally. And not only that, we lost our first employee. And, you know, I can't say too much about it, but we, but we lost our first employee. And um, that more than has my attention. So when I talk about mandating vaccines for city and county employees and taking a different position, first of all, we have over 10,000 employees. But secondly, we owe it first and foremost to make it a safe place to work. The people here at Honolulu Holly, I'm going to be out at Kapolei Holly this afternoon, but even elsewhere, they work very very close quarters. And so we want to make it safe. Um, and at the same time, we also wanted to make an effort, our part as city and county workers, to mitigate additional pressure on our hospitals. Now, I'm not saying if you're vaccinated, you can't go to a hospital. We're already seeing those breakthrough cases. But for the most part, anything and everything we can do, because really, honestly, the whole thing driving on any decisions on a going forward basis is going to be all predicated on our healthcare providers and what's happening there and what we can sustain or not sustain. And I think that's where the decision really rests. You know, speaking of a tax hospital and, and medical system, EMS, uh, we understand, has been flooded with calls, uh, you know, non-COVID calls and also COVID calls, people calling saying that, calling 911 to say, I think I have COVID, what do I do? Um, should EMS be allowed to refuse some calls? Because right now, if you call 911 and you ask for an ambulance, you have to be able to get one. Um, yeah. But the system is too taxed, and we're told that the wait times are getting longer and longer. And basically, the system is overwhelmed with too many people with non-emergencies calling. So do you think that agency should be allowed to refuse some of those calls? Well, you know, what I think and what's legal are two different things, probably. I don't know legally if they can do that. Uh, but what you say makes some common sense. I've been meeting and talking with Jim Ireland, who runs EMS, Dr. Jim Ireland, on our team all week about, you know, our capabilities with, you know, our, our, our you know, our medics and their availability um, and providing that service. So, uh, you know, it would probably make some sense under this, under the time, but I, I, I'm going to take that question and look into it, Yanji. I really don't know if legally we can do that. I, I honestly don't know. You know, it's hard to imagine the, that uh, seeing a daily count of, say, 300 would be considered a good day compared to the numbers that we're seeing uh, yeah. in the past few weeks. Uh, but what would the number or percentage you think we would need to reach in order to lift some of the restrictions that you have just put back into place? Uh, we know that your predecessor set up a tier system, which many in the community used as a gauge and a mark to know where we were aiming for in order for us to lift restrictions to move into the tiers. Uh, but when would you be able to determine uh, the success of the group size uh, mandates that you well, put can, in place? Okay. Here's the, the drivers in it right now. And Yanji opened up the show today talking about the number of cases, which is now today for the first time ever, over a thousand and nine deaths and deaths may may continue to climb with the, the you I think the real driver on a going forward basis, because keep in mind, it's different, Ryan. And when they set up those tier program before this is before we had vaccines. Now, I'm going to say it again. We've got over a million people vaccinated. I think the number actually is around 84% of the total state. Now, that's including those not even eligible to be vaccinated or now have initiated one vaccine. And if you take out the kids, that number jumps 
even more, right? We had over a million people vaccinated. So I think the driver in the decision-making, obviously case constant deaths are gonna come into play, but that's also related to the hospital. So the real drivers are the hospitalization, the, the need for acute hospital care, ICU, you know, where we are with respect to, uh, uh, you know, obviously the positivity rates and, 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 and the case counts, but it's really going to be the pressures on the healthcare system that I think are going to trigger when we can feel like, okay, we're in really a manageable situation. I think that's what it's going to be. Less than the chances it was tied to case counts before, okay? I know that you don't want to get ahead of uh, the meeting that you're having at 11.15 today, but there are a lot of people who just want to know what we can expect. So can you tell us a little bit about sort of what what are the options, if you will, and, and what you would advocate for, given what we're seeing with that ICU capacity? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a very good question, Yanji, and I'm not going to dance around it. I, I really don't want to lock down Oahu, okay? I don't know given the circumstance. I mean, look at the numbers on the neighbor islands. Hawaii Island today had 184 cases. Kauai had 38, Maui 120. They don't have the hospital capacity we do. And as I just answered you know, to Ryan, I said, a driver on lessening things would be a lot on the pressures on our healthcare system. I would imagine they're fully taxed. In fact, I know they are. I talked to the mayors throughout the course of the week. So they may be looking at things differently on the neighbor islands versus how we're looking at it at Oahu. I, I, I have, I have a feeling that we're not quite there yet. We want to try to go on as best we can. Um, it, you know, our focus single-handedly has been, and a couple of your questions have been about this, is getting people vaccinated. The, the challenge is that, as it was said to me last night by one of the healthcare officials, even if everybody overnight found religion and all the anti-vaxxers decided to line up and get vaccinated today, we'd not really get the benefit of that, full benefit of that for another six weeks. But at the same time, the economic consequences and a broader definition of who we are and how we live, knowing that we've got a million people vaccinated, our schools are back in session. We've got, you know, a full throttle of tourists. I think the, the number in Waikiki is going to end up 23% over 2019 in the month of August, just with North American, well, USA travelers. We don't even have Canadian visitors. We don't have our Asian market, but that segment is up 23%. I don't know how you dial, you dial that back, but if we could, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to mitigate it. Like I said, we canceled the sporting events this weekend. We've reduced crowd capacity. We're mandating our own employees, but I really don't want to lock down the economy. And I don't, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I've tried to stay in my lane as a mayor. I, uh, and uh, a lot of things have been deferred to the State Department of Health and the governor ultimately, uh, because that who does, that's who makes the situation. So I'm going to go into this morning's conversation with the position that I just said and other data to hopefully, you know, discuss if, if necessary, but that's where I'm coming from. You know, you mentioned those tourism numbers and we're seeing it with the amount of visitors that are coming here. And yet there seems to be just a growing tension between locals and visitors. Uh, how do we repair that relationship with the tourism industry amongst the local community? Well, it's good. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I think that's going to take a long time. There's been a lot of tension. Look, we went from a year in which we were overrun in 2019. And 3 million of those people, and I want to come back to this because it's relevant to a major announcement we made earlier this week uh, on DPP and our efforts at the city to help manage tourism. But 3 million of that 10.5 million people stayed in illegal vacation rentals, okay? And that created an incredible amount of tension pre-COVID 
Our beaches were overrun. The restaurants, local people felt totally subordinated to tourists, which was true. I know I felt it myself. So that was a very much a valid feeling. And then we hit an incredible year. It was, it was something none of us could have even imagined. And unfortunately, it brought with it a pandemic to make it happen. But we had no tourists. And life became very different and very convenient. I just think that that kind of, you know, from the resentment that was being built up in 2019 with this overrun to not having any tourists in our midst and access to beaches and everything else you could possibly imagine, it, it felt really good. The only problem was that was coming at a tremendous economic impact. So now we kind of come back and tourism came back faster because Hawaii was up until the last several weeks a safe place to go. People had a pent-up need to travel. Um, they had saved money. They just needed to get out. Hawaii, it was everybody's dream. We still enjoyed that incredible um, sense of being a real iconic treasure on the world, on the planet. So it was almost understandable, even though the hotels themselves were not fully staffed. You know, we lost 40% of our restaurant trade during the pandemic. And the restaurant business is a big business. This is a six and a half billion dollar a year business, employed over a hundred thousand people. You know, and we lost forty percent of that during the pandemic. A lot of it didn't come back. So we've got people here that are long lines in restaurants and all kinds of other things, and then flooding a lot of our private beaches and stuff out of their own excitement, and enthusiasm, and, and and doing things that upset local people. I, this is going to take a while to work through. This has been a phenomenal social experience, but I do think that the city can help. So we have now before the Planning Commission our proposal to manage illegal vacation rentals. It's one of the things we promised we would do, and it took a lot of months to set this up, and we think we're going to get through the Planning Commission. We think we're, we're teed up to get full support of the council, and we're, going to, and we're going to be using opera funds to hire some investigators. We've been through the whole thing with VRBO, with Expedia, with Airbnb. We understand where these people are. We've changed, we're changing tax codes. And we're going to do something that's really unprecedented, and it's and it's not going to go over necessarily really well with people. But as a person before said something about bold decisions, this is about as aggressive as you can get. Basically, you're going to get a tax bill, and if you don't pay your tax bill, we'll put a lien on your house, and and that's where it's going to go. And the people that are illegal, that are non-conforming, the 808 that were protected before they changed the law in the 80s, are going to still stand. Those who are not in zoned areas, but we are going to expand some and some of the tourist-related areas. So we'll increase, in some areas, the uh, legal vacation rentals. But if you were to ask anybody, and I talked to a lot of hotel operators, they will tell you that those 3 million people probably populated close to 20,000 statewide illegal vacation rentals, okay? And most of those were on Oahu. So I don't have an exact number, but we do, we do know where they are and who they are. And so we're gonna be very aggressive on that. The only thing we haven't got worked out yet and we're not being in flux is we don't have the Canadian situation worked out yet. And we, don't have, we don't have the Japan thing worked out yet, but we think we're gonna be able to get there. But what we're about to do to help manage tourism. So hopefully that will alleviate you know, some of the tensions. If you ask the hotel operators, they will tell you based on the amount of hotel rooms we have, at a very healthy occupancy, let's just say, I think the numbers were quoted to me, at a 90% occupancy, which is really high, you know, uh, and that's really allowing for the peaks and whatever. It's just not, we could probably do about 7.5 million tourists a year comfortably with a little bit more put in. Somewhere between 7.5 and 8 million is sort of the, the spot 
against what high occupancy, but it's manageable. Then you add to that what we did at Hanama Bay, what our impact fees there, and it's still free for locals, but controlling it with technology, limiting the amount of reservations, charging $25 per person. That's going to generate about $4 million a year for us, which we're going to totally invest. But at least the real benefit comes from less than half the traffic at that place, which I consider is a real treasure is you know going to allow our coral and our beaches and the fish there and all the other things that are so uh, indigenous to that to become a lot healthier so we're going to do everything we can to help from the city standpoint maybe over time that'll help but i've watched the same news stories that you've probably have done and watched yourselves i can see what there's a man apologizing for picking up a sea turtle or people you know all of that stuff that's just people find really offensive i think their patience has become even less than it ever has been because of everything that's gone on. So we're going to try to mitigate that to the best of our ability. I want to get back to that, uh, the, the comment that you made about the people who are not vaccinated. I know we're almost out of time, but you did say that you've sort of identified the communities, uh, perhaps even by zip code, as in terms of where the highest rates of unvaccinated are. What are you doing to try to get those folks vaccinated? Is there a new strategy? Because it seems like just telling people this is good for you, this is for, good for your community. We've been doing that for months and it doesn't yeah. seem like it's really breaking through. Yeah, and that's the frustration too. And I watched, you know, Kyle Buona presented you here a report and a lot of businesses say we still need more education. And I sit there with G and I say, where's the education? What is the education? Are you talking about education that tries to combat all the crazy stuff that's on social media that many people are buying into? You know, and I don't know if we're ever going to win that argument with some people because I don't know how you counter that necessarily other than continually, you know, talk about the facts. But to your point, um, there's a lot going on out on the west side. And, uh, and I'm part of the reason why I'm going out to Cop later this afternoon. I know this weekend on Wainai, and I think I've seen different reports come through. You know, we're relying on the community itself to help with this. I know that uh, our healthcare providers are going to be out there. And, you know, it's not about vaccine access. Let me just put it that way. Um, the, I think the vaccine access is not only there, it has been there. It's about people's willingness to be vaccinated versus not. So hopefully now with the FDA approval on Monday of this past week, just four days ago, and everything else that's going on, people are starting to see more people die. Look, in this place where we're all so connected, people know the people who are sick. Everybody's got people who are sick or going in hospitals that are related to somebody. They're seeing people die. I don't want to use fear as a motivator necessarily, but I think fear also in the community has become very real in a lot of places, and it's triggered a lot of different emotions. But maybe if it, that's what it takes for some people who are on the fence to decide, you know what, hell no, I don't want to die. Worse yet, I don't want to go in the hospital, you know, um, that they'll go out and get vaccinated and protect themselves. And so uh, I'm, I happen to be on the side of being a very staunch and strong believer in the efficacy of the vaccines that have been created. They've proven themselves on a global basis. And, you know, and to the extent possible, they've proven themselves here as well. And so that's why we continue to strongly encourage everybody to get vaccinated. You know, we are uh, out of time here, but before you leave, I just wanted to ask you uh, just for a quick comment on, on just where we're at as a community. You know, you look at what we're seeing uh, online in our comment section. There just seems to be a, a lot of division between those who believe in the vaccine, those who are against it. And, and a lot of words that are being exchanged and we're seeing it play out uh, in, in just everyday lives and conversations. And uh, there seems to be just a big division in our community as a leader of this island uh, what would you say to help to unify the community during this time uh, when there seems to be so much disagreement okay so let me just be clear ryan let's just frame it now we've got a million people vaccinated statewide 
on Oahu, it's about 900,000. We've got, you know, we have about 100,000, a little bit more than 100,000. It's close to probably 130,000 that are not vaccinated. So you've got that that situation going. So the division seems to be there, if you will, majority versus minority. So all I could do is appeal to, first of all, the majority of people and thank them for everything that they've done to try to contribute to our communal health. And the other thing I would say that this is not a circumstance. It's about individual rights. This is about community health, you know, and to be able to think about yourself. This is not about me. This is about we. And everything and anything that I've always felt in Hawaii, in the sense of community, the sense of ohana, the sense of kuleana, this is what this is all about right now. And those people that I'm afraid that are so dug in, because look, we've had three demonstrations here at Honolulu Holly. I've seen it up close and personal, how angry they are and how threatened they are and how hostile they are. I don't know if we're ever going to reach those people, but to the extent of the hundred plus thousand that are not vaccinated and those that may be on the fence, I can only urge them to make that decision and go and get vaccinated. And I don't know what else I can possibly say to those people that I've seen firsthand that are so hostile and angry about this. I just hope you don't get sick and I hope you don't die. Okay, Mayor Rick Blangiardi spending so much time with us this morning. We truly appreciate it. We know you're off to meet with the mayors and the governor. So we'll look for some news out of that uh, meeting later this afternoon. Thank you so much again for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Well, interesting to hear from the mayor there, a very somber tone at the end there talking that, you know, he hopes that folks don't die and he's really encouraging them to get the vaccine. He says he doesn't want to use fear as a tool, but he does know that some people are starting to get afraid and that perhaps is pushing them to get vaccinated. That number today, Ryan, 1,035, a record with nine deaths, Um, just a really, really tough situation. He said that he had wanted to announce vaccine passports this morning at 10 o'clock, but scrapped that news conference because he's going into a meeting now with state leaders, perhaps to come up with something different. Yeah, really making sure that, you know, as he said, he wanted to listen to the governor and and take his lead on some of these matters and as well as hear uh, what uh, is happening with the other counties and the other mayors and what they're deciding to do. So the mayor decides to hold off on that announcement until this meeting. But as he also plainly said, he does not uh, want a lockdown and is not advocating for that. He recognizes the impact that it will have on businesses here. And really, at this point, it's about management of hospital capacity and ensuring that uh, the hospitals are able to adequately uh, care for those individuals who are coming in, be it with COVID-19 or not, while also weighing the economic impact that could happen uh, with uh, any sort of further restrictions. And so uh, also saying that he doesn't think that the group number size would be restricted all that much uh, either. So, uh, but again, he said it's a very fluid situation. Things could change as we've seen time and time again throughout this pandemic. Right, and he pushed back on this idea that the tourists are the ones to blame, saying that really when you look at the numbers, it's only a handful of tourists who end up using our hospital facilities. Uh, their their spread is very little, and so he said that it's really community spread, not tourist spread. We saw a lot of comments pushing back against that. We know that there are a lot of mixed feelings about the number of visitors, and he talked about that on sort of a broad basis, You know that we had no tourists for quite some time, and now we're getting used to having visitors back. Uh, He did give us a preview of his legislation that they're pushing through to really crack down on vacation rentals, and it does sound like it's going to be a lot tougher than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, a lot of news coming out uh, from the holiday this morning, and we thank the mayor uh, for joining us. So we've we recognize there's a busy schedule. We always try to get him on uh, every month if we can, but we know that he is busy, but we appreciate him taking time this morning and accommodating us in that way. Uh, we will have another 
popular guest on the show on Monday, and that's the Lieutenant Governor. That's right. Lieutenant Governor Josh Green joins us on Monday. We know a lot of you like to ask him a lot of questions, so please do join us then. Uh, and then sticking with the public health message, we are going to be talking to Dr. Melinda Ashton from Hawaii Pacific Health. She, of course, is a hospital administrator there, and she also is a pediatrician. So we're going to be asking her some specific uh, questions about COVID in kids, because we do know that every day you see those case count numbers, uh, officials have told us between 20 and 20 percent of those are children. So what does that actually mean uh, if your child is exposed to or infected with the virus? We'll be asking her about that as well as HPH's hospital capacity. And then on Friday, Dr. Sarah Kimball from the Department of Health. Yeah, a full week ahead. Uh, we thank you all for being a part of this conversation. Uh, we'll see you right back here on Monday at 1030 with Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. Aloha. Aloha. This episode of Spotlight Hawaii was brought to you by Chaminade University.